0: Dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th, and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, a teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member in an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to another episode of Special Education and Advocacy with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow and I'm so happy you're here. Woo wee! Friends, We have really settled into the beginning of the school year here at the Barlow Household. With Labor Day being behind us and the Buddy Walk being behind us, we are getting in the groove. We're like getting in the routines. We've got uh, chore charts and weekly to-do lists and homework. And we've had all of those meetings that you have at the beginning of the school year. And we have just hit the ground running. This was a weird year for us, as I know all of you have probably experienced from time to time with coming back from vacation, you know, just a couple of days before the school year started, and I just said to myself, I'm going to give myself a lot of grace, and I did, and guess what? It all worked out okay. So sometimes you just can't get it all together, you can't get it all prepared, and it all works out. So... We're we're in it. We are in the school year here. I think by now, probably most everybody is in school. My tutoring clients on either coast are in the school, uh, in their school. And I've talked to people kind of north and south as well. So it seems like Labor Day is kind of like the uh, unifying date when we know that most American kids are back in school. So I hope it's going well for you as well. Today's podcast episode stems out of a discussion I had with an organization that asked me to speak. This organization was asking me, I I had done some products for them that they share with their, with the families that they benefit. And they had asked me if I would generate a list of accommodations and modifications. Like what commonly could support a child with this diagnosis? And it doesn't matter what the diagnosis is, right? Like it could be Autism, speech, expressive speech impairment, receptive speech impairment, dyslexia, Down syndrome, CP. It could be anything. You know what are some common uh, accommodations and modifications that would go into the IEP? And I like. I wish I could make that break sound, or like the like the holding of the record of the record player, like screeching. You know, like, hard stop, that's a no for me. I do not do banks of accommodations and modifications. I also don't like goal banks. I don't like lists of anything that can go into an IEP. And so today I want to talk a little bit about why that is. And I want to talk a little bit about accommodations and modifications. I actually developed a talk on this topic that I'm going to be presenting to them because they were like, well, can you, you know, families really want to know more about them and I'm like, cool. It's just a longer conversation. So, I developed a talk if you're interested in having me give the talk to your organization, just DM me and I'll be happy to to talk to you about it. But I thought, oh, this would be a really good podcast episode. So, okay. So, I think it's kind of universal that you know, if you're talking to attorneys and advocates and and you talk about like, oh, a really beefy, like Great, solid, comprehensive IEP. I think most of us are like, oh gosh, did they get a bunch of like accommodations, modifications that came from some bank? Like, is it super long and doesn't really mean anything? So, we're going to get into why I don't like those in a second, but let's talk about the difference between accommodations and modifications first. So, what are, what's the difference between the two of them? Let's start with modifications. So, if a child gets modifications in their IEP, if you are modifying something in the IEP, what you're doing is you are changing it. You're changing the curriculum. Most of the time, we modify the work or the assessment strategy or the environment in order simply to make learning more accessible to the child. So, what's that mean? What's that look like? What we're really doing is we are making the work different in order for the child to be able to either access the learning or to be able to tell you what they understand, to be able to be assessed. So sometimes, you know, we've got students with vision impairments, for example, that need the, their, their worksheets or their computer things or their environment modified such that the work is different. So, you know, it's, we are talking about just reducing visual clutter, right? That's an accommodation, which we're going to talk about in a second. But we're talking about significantly, not significantly, but we're talking about modifying the, the work. So maybe we have less work. Maybe we have different work. For students that are visually impaired, sometimes the word looks different altogether, So it might, sometimes the environment rather looks different altogether. So, you know, maybe they need high contrast behind something, or they need a little study carol in order to reduce the visual clutter. It is being modified. For students with cognitive impairments, modified work sometimes might look like less work. So it might just be, you know, instead of doing 25 math problems, you do 10 math problems. But a lot of times we're modifying it such that it's different altogether. So it's not just, you know, taking notes and highlighting like, you know, 10 things that you have to know in a, in a two-page note document but rather we're modifying it in order to make it accessible. So I'll give you an example of that. So last week, Jack was studying economies and social studies. And he was studying the different kinds of economies and why different kinds of economies existed and things like supply and demand and that sort of thing. And those are all concepts that Jack can understand and should learn. However, the vocabulary in the actual two-page study guide that came home was not accessible to him. It was a bunch of words that would not have meant anything if he were to have memorized them. Could he have memorized them? Sure. But would it have made any sense to him? No. And the whole point of, you know, going to school is to learn, right? It's not to just memorize things and spit them back out. And so what we did was we modified that work in a way to make it accessible to Jack. So, rather than having, you know, four syllable words strung together that meant something to the other children in his class, we changed it up and we changed up the language so that he could understand concepts like supply and demand. So, the work was modified. The actual language of the work, the text of the work was changed entirely so that he could get it. Also, the volume was changed. He needed to learn less about economies than the other students. So that's modifications, when the work is being changed in order to make it more more accessible. And don't forget, it's it's not only the work, it can be environment or the way you assess or other things as well. So then we think about accommodations. Accommodations are ways that we make learning more accessible to children, but not in a way that is changing it. So we are just providing different access to the the children. And so we might provide accommodations like, you know, a really common one is extra time. So our students with, you know, ADHD and a variety of different diagnoses could need accommodations, the an accommodation of extra time because, you know, they might get distracted, or if they've got low muscle tone, it might take them longer to write. Or if they use AAC it might take them longer to type in their answers so we are providing this accommodation of extra time because it might take them longer to either receive information or to spit out information right the, the intake and the output both might take a little bit more time and that's okay the the work itself is not changed but it is modified I'm sorry, it, it is, uh, you're, you're simply provided more time in order to do it. Other accommodations might be lists like graphic organizers or, or, you know, other visuals, token economy boards in order to stay actively engaged in, you know, a behavior plan or a behavior support system or something like that. And so what these kinds of things do is they make the learning more accessible but nothing gets changed the the actual content does not get changed. So that's the difference between modifications and accommodations. When you modify something, you're changing it and when you're accommodating you're just providing additional tools or strategies or supports in order to make the learning more accessible. Okay, so why do I not like? banks of accommodations and modifications. (laughs) Well, you just heard me stumble over my words for 12 or 14 minutes because I like to give examples so that you understand stuff. But because if we have banks, then we are going to think that these are things that everybody with Down syndrome needs, with a specific learning disability needs, everybody with, you know, a vision impairment needs. And that is just simply not the case. You can't feel lesser or more or, you know, like you've got better supports or worse supports if your accommodations and modifications are a shorter list. Basically, the things in the IEP are things that the school has to do. You know that they are most likely providing other things that are just like kind of commonplace. You know, they're going to try 60 different pencils with somebody that has low muscle tone to see if, a weighted pencil or a thick pencil or a triangular pencil or a crayon or a marker or whatever makes writing the task of writing more accessible to the child. And so do you have to put in every single one of those? Well, I mean, you know, that's a that's a totally different conversation. But the fact of the matter is, when we look at banks, we, you know, it's kind of human nature to say, oh, I want all of these. And we have to focus on the actual individual needs of the child. And we have to focus on the things that we're going to address in the IEP. So, if it's something that we aren't going to address in the IEP and it's something that doesn't ever come up in Gen Ed, like it's a modification that sure would be helpful, but it's not something that's ever going to happen, like come up, well, then we don't need to put it in there. And parents get so wrapped up in these, you know, this kind of desire to have everything in the IEP and everything documented that the whole spirit of the document kind of gets lost. And we what we really want is we want to teach kids. We don't need, you know, for paperwork to, to talk about every time they're going to breathe in and breathe out. So what do I recommend instead? And What I recommend you do is the same thing that I recommend when you're writing goals, that you actually look at the data. You look at the evaluation data, you look at progress monitoring, you look at teacher feedback from teachers and tutors and therapists and related service providers and anybody inside and outside the school that works with the kid. And you see what works. What do they need? What works? And then you go from there. So you look at all of that objective information that we're supposed to look at, that's supposed to give us good feedback. And we say, okay, how does work need to be modified? What accommodations do we need? Can we not get through school without a pocket full of Legos? Can we, does a token economy system just make life so much easier? Do we need reduced visual clutter? What does this say? I'm going to tell you nine times out of 10, an evaluation report will have a list of these things at the end. That list is based on the actual evaluation results. It is not just some bank that you've pulled off the internet. So that is what I recommend that you do rather than Googling common accommodations and modifications in an IEP for a student with fill-in-the-blank disability. We don't treat our kids as though they are just a kid with Down syndrome or a kid with dyslexia or a kid that has vision impairment. So why would we draft an IEP that includes everything that anybody with that diagnosis in the history of time? has had. I hope that is helpful to you. I will get off of my soapbox now, and I will tell you, I will remind you here at the beginning of the school year, that if you find yourself wanting to know more about special education, about advocacy, negotiation strategy, the law, actual special education practice, I encourage you to check out my special education and advocacy lab. That is my digital course that is geared more toward an audience of parents or related service professionals. This course provides kind of the start to finish. I call it Parents IEPs 101. It's kind of start to finish, nuts and bolts. We go through evaluations. We go through the actual IEP document. We even talk about what due process might look like. Tons and tons of communication strategies, advocacy strategies, negotiation strategies, curriculum ideas. We talk about it all in the lab. It is available to download at any time on my website. Go to the shop tab and we are getting ready to reorganize the the website. But currently in September 2023, it's under the shop tab. So head over there, download the lab. I hope you like it and I will see you next week. Same time, same place.